welcome to the C3 Camden podcast. For more information about our church, please visit www.c3camden.church. We are so thrilled that you're listening today and we hope you enjoy the message. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm excited because the kids are in today. Um, so can I ask if we could start with the kids just coming down to the front, not on the stage, just down the front. And if I um, could ask for some lighting to go down just a little bit, if that's all right. Darren, thanks. Um, so where's all our beautiful kids? So for those who are online, um, we're going to keep our kids uh, safe and they're not going to come up on stage. Uh, So apologies if uh, I disappear or you can't see anyone on stage, but you'll be able to hear us. Um, So, anyone are missing? No? We're going to start by asking you all two questions. The first question is, could you please tell us what you want to be when you grow up? So, Hannah. No, I'm going to start with someone who knew this question was coming. What would you like to be when you grow up, Noah? A builder. Builder. And Indy, what would you like to be when you grow up? A news lady. A news lady. You'd be able to talk about all the weather. There's lots of rain, isn't there? You could talk about all the rain. Amy, what would you like to be when you grow up? A zookeeper. Ooh, cuddly koalas. It's Gabby, isn't it? What would you like to be when you grow up? A doctor. Doctor. And Hannah? Do you need some thinking time music? What would you like to be when you grow up? A zookeeper. A zookeeper too. Well, if we've got lots of animals, we've got lots of people in our church family who can look after them. Now, I have one more question for you. If you think about the stories that you've heard of in the Bible, particularly Jesus when you think about a something in the Bible that Jesus did. So something in the Bible that you know that Jesus did. Are you ready? Yep. Um, he changed water to wine. Changed water to wine. He died on the cross for us. Excellent. Died on the cross. Died on the cross. Died on the cross. Oh! <laughs> you had the other... What was the one that you said last night about the storm? God come the storm. That's right. Jesus did lots of things, didn't he? Yeah? Well, thank you very much for being part of our question time. Now, Mara down the back has some popcorn and some juice for you guys. If you'd like to head down the back. And there's also colouring in if you'd like to do that. Thank you, kids. Give me a, a round of applause for our kids. So I wonder what your answer to that question may have been. Uh, If I asked you uh, as a child what you wanted to be, maybe you're doing that or maybe you're doing something different. And um, I'm really excited today to be talking about who Jesus is, not just what he did, uh, but who he is. And just want to say thank you uh, to Pastors Jill and Rowan and um, Pastor Edwina for the privilege of uh, preaching today. So who, I think, think about a common conversation when you meet someone for the first time. Kind of go up to someone and you say, g'day, how are you going? I'm Ali. And they might go, yeah, g'day, I'm Bob. And the next question that usually get asked is, what do you do? Yeah, what do you do? So usually we respond with maybe the job that we do. 
Or it might be that we start listing off the type of roles that we have. So what are some of the roles that you have? For me, I might answer the question of going, yeah, I'm um, a university lecturer or an occupational therapist. I am a mum, a sister, a friend. I'm a soccer mum. One of the things I'm really glad that I'm not is a dance mum. So I'm really, really happy with that. Um, I have a, a friend that uh, my daughter is um, uh, very close in age to another friend and she's a dancer herself. And I always said, if the girls ever want to do sport, I'll take them. But if Amy ever wants to do dancing, then you need to take her because it's just not my scene. Anyway, what do you do? What are all the roles that you have? Sometimes it's what we do that defines us. Sometimes if you think about all the things that you do might be like putting a post-it all over you, a post-it note for each thing that you do. And we let that define who we are. Sometimes we even hide our true self by the things that we do. What if we change the question? Rather than ask you, what do you do? What if that first question when you kind of meet someone says, who are you? How would you go answering that question? Can you answer that question without saying the things that you do? Do you feel squeamish about having to think about how you would respond to that? Or do you know the answer? Are you certain? Are you sure about the answer? I think when we really, to answer this question well, we need to look at the Gospels. We need to look no further than Jesus. And just like I asked the kids, what did Jesus do? It's quite easy for us to look at the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and go, yeah, I can see, I, I can read, I can see, I can hear of all the things Jesus did. And it's great, Yeah. And uh, I don't want to take anything away in today's sermon at all about the things that Jesus did. But what again, if we change the question from rather than saying, what just did Jesus do, but who is Jesus? How do you answer that question? How do we discover that? How do we read the Gospels to answer that question of who is Jesus? What's his character like? What does he like? What does he dislike? What was his childhood like? How did all of his family life influence who he was as a man? I love the title that Jesus is given of son of man and equally as important is, is son of God. And I love trying to think through and wrap my head around and I never, ever get there, but love thinking through about how Jesus was fully son of God, fully God in the form of a human being. Like, how does that work? How does that, how can you fathom that? I think we look at the gospels we don't have to look much further than the birth of Jesus to kind of even see that illustrated in how Jesus was son of God in the form of 
a, a human being, the son of man. And this, that title, son of man, has very big links back to the Old Testament, um, even to Daniel in terms of uh, that, come, that foretelling of the Messiah coming. And if we look at Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 33, we see about... Uh, how Jesus was um, conceived. We know that an angel appeared to Mary and said, don't be afraid, uh, you have found favour with God and you will be with a child, uh, with child, sorry, and give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. And here's the part that's really rich in Old Testament prophecy. It says, he will be great and he will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So he's going to come from the line of David and have the throne of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. So here is God being born just the way you and I were born. Born as a helpless baby. So here's God, totally dependent. Think of a newborn baby, totally dependent on being fed, being changed, being put to sleep, being carried. Makes you think, when Jesus was a baby, did he keep Mary and Joseph awake at night? Did he feed well? Did he experience colic? Did he ever do a panami where the poo just went everywhere? What does it mean for, for God, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, to be born and surrender everything about him and born into the helpless form of, of a baby? And then we think about childhood for Jesus. What do the Gospels tell us about Jesus' childhood? There's no specific stories about Jesus' childhood that tell us what family life was like. But the Gospels are rich in history around that time. And they do tell us, if we look deep enough about who Jesus was and what his childhood was like, what influenced him to be the man that he was. There's a, a theologian, T.R. Glover, and uh, I love reading his books because he has really helped me to kind of look deeper into who is Jesus. What do the Gospels tell us about his character? And, and T.R. Glover says that when you read the, these stories, these experiences, these encounters, Jesus' parables, we become privy to learning more about who Jesus is, who he is as son of man and son of God. So what do we know about Jesus' childhood from the Bible? Well, we know that he grew up in the town of Galilee. Galilee wasn't a rich and affluent town. It was kind of, you know, down on the outskirts, didn't have a lot of money, just normal, everyday, ordinary families. And even, we see further down in the New Testament that even, um, you know, there was a reference made from someone, Jesus being from the town of Galilee, and it had that negative connotation to it. We know that Jesus was um, born into, uh, had a family that had at least five boys in it, and he was the eldest of that family, and there's a possibility that there were two, he had two sisters. We know that uh, at some stage during his childhood that Mary, his mum, became a widow. Um, and we also know that with, uh, in terms of being a Jew, that he would have grown up 
uh, learning um, very much the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah. And it was custom that a, a, a Jew would actually learn one of those five books and they would have to recite it word for word by, by memory. And so Jesus would have learned up, uh, grown up learning that as well. We know that Jesus was a builder or a stonemason and that his earthly father, Joseph, was a stonemason or a builder and that Jesus would have learnt this trade, just like, you know, today we talk about apprenticeship, that Jesus would have spent time with Joseph. He would have watched Joseph, learnt skills. Joseph would have taught him. It's not like he just miraculously had a chip inserted into his brain, as much as I've said that would be really nice sometimes, that he, that he just learnt this, he just had the skill. He learnt the skill. Yeah, he had to learn. And he surrendered every part of that deity in him and became human and had to learn those things. If we look at some parables, we continue to see Jesus' character uncovered. In one tiny little parable, it's uh, in Mark chapter 2, verse 21. It's uh, where Jesus talks about um, new cloth. And uh, it says in, in Mark 21, 2 to 21, it says, No one sews a new patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Now, we can see that Jesus is using this imagery to make a point. It's one of his parables. But if we look a little bit deeper, we can actually, again, become privy to something about Jesus' life growing up. How did he know that if you had new, uh, old cloth, old clothes, and if you tore it and then went and sewed on new cloth, that it would actually just become worse? Like, how did he know that? And if you think back to his childhood, he grew up in the rough and tumble with five, five boys and possibly two girls in an ordinary house in the town of Galilee. What better way to know than to grow up in an ordinary house like that? where money wasn't on hand, it wasn't, didn't grow on a tree, and clothes probably were passed down and they got ripped easily. These are examples of how we become privy in reading the parables about more and more about who Jesus is and what he did. You can even think about the parables of uh, Jesus uses about bread and oven, leaven and yeast, um, and these are all likely first-hand experiences of Jesus' childhood, his encounters. We look at another um, miracle that Jesus did was feeding the 5,000. And to have again, to again go deeper and not just looking at what Jesus did, but what does this miracle of feeding 5,000 tell us about Jesus' character? So in Matthew 14, verses 15, we start with the story of Jesus being out. He'd been preaching and teaching and he had large crowds following him, thousands of people following him. And they got to a really remote place and uh, the disciples go, hey, it's getting really late. Why don't you send everyone away? Send them away so that they can go and go, go to a village and get something to eat. Um, and Jesus said, no, I'm not going to send them away says you give them something to eat 
the disciples turn around and go, like, okay, what have we got? We've got five loaves of bread and two fish. They had 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men. And then there were women and children on top of that. So we could maybe even double that number. So disciples, I wonder what the disciples are thinking at this point in time, like five loaves of bread and two fish and you want us to feed like 10,000 people? So Jesus says, bring them here. He gave thanks, told people to sit down on the grass and then he gave the bread and the fish to the disciples and said, go, distribute all of this food and everybody got food, they were well fed and there was even leftovers. And it says in verse 21, the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So here we've got this, another great story. Here is God, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present in human form. You have to think about this. Nothing was impossible for him. So feeding 5,000 men plus women and children, he's got this covered. But I'm thinking, if you are all-powerful, then why not a lamb roast? <laughs> why, not, why not something more extravagant? You could have just, with a puff of your breath, Jesus, you could have just thought it and it would have been. Like, why fish and bread? Why not go a feast? And even how he actually got the disciples to di- distribute why not just, again, think the thought and the food just appear in front of everyone at the same time? And again, it reveals to us who Jesus' character is. Again, here is a man who, as a child, grew up as an ordinary family, in an ordinary family and probably knew the value of eating and drinking what you had and making the most of it in the... You, you had fish and bread lying around, then that's what you made a meal of. Something simple and nutritious that would feed people. But to even go further and to think about how Jesus involved the disciples, rather than just kind of making the food appear in everyone, it shows that Jesus, he didn't want the disciples just to observe this miracle. He was inviting them to join in, to be part, to participate in this miracle that he was doing. What a God. Yeah. So good. You just keep, you can, we can just keep going with this. If you think about in the Gospels, Jesus, one other thing that really stands out for me is how Jesus loved nature and he loved people. And you look at no further than his parables and you can see how Jesus was a master storyteller. And he used imagery all over the place in his parables to really communicate truth. And you think about it, he talked about light and candles and fishing and pigs and sowing and harvesting, sparrows and sheep and shepherds, fig trees and vines. He had a love of nature and he was a master storyteller. And I love how Jesus was personal and he called people by name, not just or you or deer or pet because they didn't know names. He called people by name. And Pastor Jill, you spoke about this with Zacchaeus and how Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, he called him by name. Come down. I'm going to go to your house for tea. 
And again, another story of how Jesus healed the leper. I love the way that he did this. In Matthew 8 verse 1, it says that Jesus came down from the mountainside. There were large crowds and there was a man with leprosy. And the man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, back in these days, if you had leprosy, you lived on the outskirts of town. You were considered unclean. You were an outcast. You couldn't join in in um, ceremonies or rituals. Uh, you weren't to be touched. And so if we keep reading in verse 3, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of leprosy. Think about this man with leprosy. When was the last time that someone looked adoringly or lovingly or warmly at him? When was the last time that this man with leprosy was touched by anyone? That intimate touch of a friend or a family member. When was the last time that he got to experience that? He was an outcast. No one looked lovingly or warmly at him or touched him. And here is Jesus, son of man, son of God, who could have again, with a puff of his breath, all the thought, said you're healed he didn't actually reached out and touched him broke through all rules and regulations at that point in time and touched the leper who had not been touched in so long what a god what what a man to be such a intimate and loving man Man of God. I feel like I can't just say man. Man of God. Son of God. I could keep going. I think if you keep thinking of all of the gospel stories in the same way that we've kind of just been privy to here of looking through and going, who is this son of God, son of man? It's really important when we read the gospels to see what Jesus did. That's so important. But to go deeper and deeper and to, to sit and meditate and go, but who is Jesus? As I read this story, what does this tell me of Jesus' character, of his likes and his dislikes? If I can get, grab the band to come up, that would be great. It was uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, reading something that um, Steph, who's not here today, uh, posted o- online. And uh, it was about kind of along the lines of doing instead of being and um, thinking through of what does it look like to be part of a church family if for some reason you're unable to do. As important as serving is in church families, what would it look like in our church family for somebody to be part of our family and to be without doing because they might not be able to do or to serve Are they still part of the family? Are they still free to be without doing? How do we as a church family take the focus off doing, as important as that can be at times, but how do we take the focus off doing and for all of us in our church family to be, to have that freedom to be a being, 
to just be. And I think the only way to do this is to really uncover who Jesus is, his character, his likes, his dislikes, not just what he did, but who is he? And there's so much of that in the Gospels. We just have to look and listen. The more you uncover who Jesus is, the more that you will uncover who you are. John Calvin, a theologian, pastor and reformer from the 1500s. He believed that knowing ourselves and knowing God were really intertwined. He said that the more that you know God, the more that you will know yourself. And the more that you know yourself, the more that you will know God. I'm going to say that again. The more that you know God, the more you'll know yourself. And the more that you know yourself, the more that you will know God. If you want to know who you are, you have to know who Jesus is. And to read those Gospels and to allow yourself to be soaked in the character of Son of God, Son of Man. How do you do that? It might be reading the Gospels. It might just be a couple of verses at a time and allow yourself to sit and meditate on that, to ask the Lord to reveal to you, who are you? Not only what did you do, but what does this reveal about who you are? Take time to pray and meditate, to think it through. Chat it through with someone. Ask them, what do you think this part of the Bible or this parable or this experience of Jesus, what does this tell us about his character? Consider what your Sabbath looks like. A time of rest and renewal. A time to spend with God. I was chatting to Pastor Rowan about this and he mentioned how the Sabbath was a way of reprogramming. Reprogramming our thinking of our value. Not what we do, but who we are as a child of God. Let's just sit for a moment. Feel free to close your eyes if you like. But just to sit and to think about how well you know Jesus. How well do you know what he likes or dislikes? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you surrendered all of your deity and became the Son of Man, fully flesh, fully human, fully dependent, learning from those around you. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us in the Gospels, that we can sit before you to read your word and to uncover who you are. That every time we open your word, we can encounter you. Can you help us to do that? Help us to set aside time to be still and quiet in the busyness of our weeks. Help us to think and be intentional about a Sabbath, 
that time of rest and renewal, a time for you to reprogram our thinking about our value. Pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from our church. We pray that you feel empowered by what you've heard today. We hope that you can stay connected by following us online. You can find us at C3 Camden on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube or visit our website at www.c3camden.church You always will